Please open in your Bibles to the book of Acts. The book of Acts, which is found in your New Testament. If, if you're new this morning, maybe you're streaming, you don't have a Bible. Let me encourage you to download an app called Bible Gateway. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the, the translation found there, BibleGateway.com. You'll be able to follow along. Uh, and in just a moment, I'm going to be reading from Acts. You put that into the search engine, chapter 20, and we're going to read the first, oh, 16 verses of Acts chapter 20. After I read, we'll pray. And then consider a message on encouragement. This is God's word. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed for Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months. And when a plot was made against him by the Jews as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia or northern Greece. Sopater, the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Verse 7. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms, said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, and so departed. And they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos, and the day after that we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Let's pray. Lord, this morning, as we do each Sunday when your scriptures, the Bible, is opened, we pray that your word would encourage our faith in you and our hope in your word of grace and our joy in the good news, the gospel, and our courage as believers in it. 
We pray, Lord, that more than the words of my mouth, that the words found here would find their way into the everyday routines and activities of this week. We ask, Lord, that the gospel, the word of your grace, and all of its glorious and practical realities would shape how we live our lives towards one another, towards our church, towards our world. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. What do you do with a passage like this? What do you say? These verses I read don't jump off the page of the devotionals you or I might peruse on a Monday morning to find some spiritual ammunition to go into our week. Few of the young men's names I mentioned are familiar to any of us. I don't even think I pronounced their names correct, so their mothers would be furious with me. And the places that Paul's traveling in his journeys in Greece and then in what would be modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor, few if any of us will travel too. We have here recorded in Acts another one of Luke's travel logs of the Apostle Paul, which is really confusing to the modern reader, even if you open to the maps in the back of your Bibles. And then at the end of the paragraph, we find another travelogue, as Paul now is journeying to Jerusalem to provide, if you will, the offering he's been collecting for the the saints, the believers there in Jerusalem as they are experiencing hardship due to a famine. And in between, we have this strange story of a young boy who falls asleep because Paul taught through the night. He went on and on and on and on. Eutychus was his name. He fell from a third-story window, died, and was miraculously brought to life in the name of Christ. What do you do with that? I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Pastor, you preach too long. And unlike Eutychus, we stay awake But don't test us. And what I would say is you're right. I do preach too long. But I don't think that's why this passage is in your Bible. I don't think this story was recorded to warn those who are tempted to fall asleep in church to stay awake or for pastors to guard their minutes. Although, funny story, I know this eats up time, but just indulge me for two minutes. When we opened this building, those of you that were here almost 10 years ago, we had no air conditioning. It was hot in these chairs, and we had a guest speaker in. His name was Pete, and Pete loves to preach. And Pete apparently loves to preach in the heat So right where Phyllis and John was sitting was, we think, a guest that morning, and the temperature in the room was clocking in around 88 degrees with ceiling fans, no air conditioning, and Pete 
was going over an hour. And right where Phyllis and John was sitting was a guest who I don't think has come back since then. <laughs> and Pete, being charismatic like me, saw this in the back. And he thought it was the movement of the spirit on the brother. In actuality, the guy was asleep because it was so hot and humid at Crossway. Now, I've preached longer than an hour. Those of you that were with me in Norton knew I could go on and on and on. But that building was always cold. We couldn't get Manny to turn up the heat long enough to stay warm. I don't think this is in the Bible about encouraging us not to sleep or stay awake or for sermons to be short. There are probably many reasons this is in the Bible, but certainly one of them is this. Encouragement. Encouragement. It's mentioned three times in the passage, the word for encouragement. We see it twice repeated at the opening of the the paragraph we read. That Paul, in verse 1, before departing for Macedonia, encouraged them. And then he returns through the regions where he has made disciples. He's evangelized non-believers. They've become believers. They've become disciples. And they've planted churches. He started churches. He encourages those new churches, those new believers, those, those new disciples. It says that in verse 2, when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement. In fact... He's returning to Jerusalem, not only to give an offering, but to encourage James and the other early leaders of the church with the fruitfulness of the message of the gospel, despite the opposition that it has met in the Roman world. Encouragement. There may be many reasons this is in your Bible, but this is clearly one of them. Luke wants you and I to see and seeing it to consider how we can both be doers of encouragement as well as receivers of encouragement. How we can be a church that's known for giving encouragement, but also a church that knows how to receive encouragement. And so my main point this morning, which Jim, thankfully for serving us again, brother, will project behind me, is simply this. Giving and receiving encouragement empowers us to move forward in building his church and staying faithful in our mission together. Giving and receiving encouragement empowers us to move forward. Giving it, receiving it. It empowers us to move forward in building his church and staying faithful in our mission together. So let me ask you this question, these questions as we begin. And then as we work through the passage, which will feel a little more topical, a little less expositional, consider how you might apply this tomorrow, this week by God's grace, for the rest of our lives. If this passage is intended to demonstrate to 
to Luke's readers of this, that the early church and particularly Paul's ministry and mission as both a missionary and pastor was marked by encouragement. The early churches were, were communities where encouragement was, was observed publicly and experienced personally. And Paul as a pastor and a missionary was known for giving encouragement. Friend, if you're a Christian this morning, might I ask you, how can you grow this week in being an encourager to others? How can you grow this week in being an encourager to others? And then secondly, in what areas of your life, your faith, your hope, your joy, your courage, do you need encouragement? That may be easier. Trained as we are in the Western art of consumer Christianity, we're often, I am better at identifying for you where I need your encouragement and I'm not as skillful nor discerning nor as godly as at least I want to be at knowing where God's calling me to give it, to be the one giving it. And I don't believe what I've heard pastors say to me because they feel like I'm extrovert. It's really just too much caffeine. Well, that's your temperament. That's your personality, Bauer. You like to work the room. I'm more scholarly. No, God is the ultimate encourager in the Bible. The good spirit empowers his people to be encouragers in the Bible. The Apostle Paul, even in prison, talk about a a quarantine in Colossians. He's quarantined with on steroids in a in a prison for the gospel is encouraging the Colossians whom he separated from. And in chapter two, daily, as he writes this letter labors to find ways to encourage their faith how can i grow where might i need it and do i have people near me to encourage me do i have people in my life i believe you do let's look at the passage the first thing i want us to notice the context and note that as paul is ending his time in Ephesus and departing through to Macedonia, which is northern Greece, and then returning to the regions, verse 2, where his first missionary journey and the church plantings that followed took him. Paul gave himself to the essential work of encouragement. He gave himself to the, the work of Christ among Christians there, the work of encouragement. He provides an example, an inspiring example, an apostolic example, a divinely ordained example, and he provides divinely inspired words and encouragement in many of his letters. So let's ask the first question. There we go. Thanks, guys, for working hard on that. Point number one, key idea number one. What is encouragement? What is Christian encouragement? I'm going to give you two statements written by two authors, popular authors. One is by Kevin DeYoung. He writes that Christian encouragement means highlighting examples 
of Christ-like character in a person's life to the glory of God. Highlighting examples, drawing their attention to an example of Christ-like character in a person's life to the glory of God. And then Garrett Cowell, in an article he submitted for the Nine Marks Ministry, writes the following, Christian encouragement is shared with the hope that it will lift someone's heart up towards the Lord. It points out in another's life evidence of God's gracious activity in their lives to help them see that God is using them. It points a person to God's promises that assures them that all they face is under his control. That's excellent, isn't it? So we've had two examples of encouragement lived out before you. It was part of our liturgy today, our our church service. Dan, in calling us to worship, encouraged us from the scripture, didn't he? That to know the Lord's love, to experience the life that his love gives us through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ... Is better than life. And that's saying something. That's the psalmist. And he was encouraging our faith to put our hope in him. Maybe you're watching this morning and you're not a Christian. But praise God, you're streaming this morning. Maybe it was for this morning in opening that Bible gateway app. This is the first time you've opened a Bible and you don't know when. Friends, there is true treasure waiting to be discovered by you. And it's in knowing the one whom scripture points us to. The one in whom it is said, in him is found fullness of life. Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the promised Jewish king of the world died for your sins and mine. He died on a cross. You may be aware of that, but he did so willingly to atone for, in other words, to take upon himself the wrath due your sins and mine. He willingly did that as our glorious substitute. Yes, he took your place and mine so that in dying, the justice due sin and a sinner, hell itself, has been resolved eternally. And through forgiveness in his name and being born anew by faith in his name and growing out of relationship in his name alone, you get to taste and see that the Lord, his life, the spirit that indwells us through him, is better than life. It's a staggering claim. It's a radical claim. It's for the taking Dan encouraged us to put our faith in that, didn't he? And then we sought to highlight in children's ministry through that slideshow the joyful service of our children's ministry workers. We could do a slideshow of the sound booth. We could do a uh, slideshow of the, the deacons who are visiting people as well as spraying chairs and making sure we follow guidelines. We could probably do a slideshow of your life this week as you, as you leaned into Christ and sought to be an encouragement to others. When you encourage another person, you're drawing attention 
to where they are growing or demonstrating godly character, Christ-like character. It can be as simple as saying thank you to a parent for caring for us when we're sick. And it can be as intentional as saying to someone in the church, you've been serving faithfully in times of plenty and in times of want. That reminds me of Christ. Thank you. I praise God for you. Let me just say what encouragement is not, and then we'll look at the text again. This is point three, Jim. Encouragement is not flattery. And I think for some of us, that's the objection that kind of comes out when we aren't sure or we may struggle to give encouragement. We feel like we're flattering the person. We're, we feel like it's a, it's a, that a boy or that a girl. I like your haircut. Nobody says that about my haircut, but I like your haircut. Or that was a great meal. That's not Christian encouragement. Although those are appropriate expressions of gratefulness. In my life, when I'm flattering someone, I usually am exaggerating. You are the most amazing ukulele player I know. Is that a ukulele? Okay. That's flattery. That's the best sermon I've ever heard. I'll take it. But it's probably flattery. I've got many examples of flattery. We won't finish the message. Because I'm guilty of exaggerating. You know why? Because I want something in return. I want affirmation. I want them to like me a little more. And it's not Christian encouragement. Paul never flatters anyone. Do you know why? Because the Lord despises flattery. Psalm 12. David had many flatteries. His Christ-like king. He had many suitors, many people in his court and in the kingdom that flattered him. And he said, inspired as he was in Psalm 12, that the Lord hates flattery. So encouragement must be something other than something God hates. Giving encouragement affirms primarily someone's character rather than their giftedness. It affirms their growth rather than their gifting. It affirms their faithfulness rather than their fruitfulness. In other words, it affirms for the person Christ-like qualities rather than the gifts Christ generously gives. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sinfulness. How might I grow in encouragement this week? If, like me, you, you are reflecting on where and if your words of praise have been tinged with elements of flattery, consider, consider resetting, 
retraining your words of encouragement. Yes, continue to share, but, but emphasize and affirm God-like qualities, Christ-like virtues, if you will, where you see them growing or trying to grow and draw their attention to that for the glory of God. As we move on in our passage, we go from verses 2 and 3 to a list found in verses 4 and following that Paul includes, and in including them, it, it raises the question for, for me reading this passage, why did Paul mention these men? In fact, in many of Paul's letters, but let's just pick on Romans. In Romans 16, the, the list of names that Paul includes in the letter that he wrote while he was wintering in Greece for three months to the Romans lists Priscilla and Aquila and maybe 18 to 24 other individuals by name, encouraging them, thanking them, Honoring them. I think the reason he mentions Sopater, Sopater the Berean, and Aristarchus, and Secundus, which I know I'm not pronouncing that right, Gaius, and Timothy, and Tychicus, and Trophimus, is not only to encourage them as they are his co-workers, fellow workers, gospel partners in his mission. But I think these brothers encouraged Paul too with their friendship, with their faithfulness, with their stick-to-itness, with their courage. I think he mentions them by name to not only encourage them, but to acknowledge to the Lord that God has provided these individuals as encouragements to Him. See, I don't think I often think of Paul as needing encouragement. I think I've got him as, as sort of TB12 of the New Testament. Tom Brady 12. Spiritual giant. Superman across the pages of the New Testament. All by himself. Moving through the world, world, Roman world, planting churches, writing 13 of the most profound letters in the New Testament, beaten stone, whipped, shipwrecked, and still standing. But what Paul talks about in his letters, particularly, is that he's not alone. So my assertion that he's a superhero is not only biblically un, untrue, it diminishes that fruitful Gospel ministry, faithful gospel ministry. It's not only often done in teams, but the purpose of doing it with other people is that we would be mutually encouraging to one another. A huge part of ministry is not only training others and releasing others, it's encouraging one another in the Lord. Which begs the question for Bauer, Evans, and anyone listening this morning. Who's your Sopater? Who's your Tychicus? Who's your 
Trophimus. Now, Paul was single. I'm sure if Peter was saying, well, we'd start with his wife. But in the, in the church at large, who is that faithful sister in the Lord? That is not only close enough to observe you, but is faithful to intentionally speak to you. I've shared this illustration at this point in my ministry. I've only got reused illustrations, but hey, that's the, the gifting I have. But some of the most faithful encouragement Linda and I received early on in our marriage was not from leaders in the church. It wasn't from pastors, although my pastors did threaten me with bodily harm. I know I could be liable for that if I screwed this up. So they really wanted me to protect and honor and love Linda, and they knew me well enough to know that you're going to do this or we're going to put some pressure on you, not physically. It was singles. It was singles in our home that observed there is a gap between how I behaved with Linda at the Sunday meeting, nice, polite, I held the door, I called her sweetie, and how I was acting in the home. Selfish, preoccupied, moody. Now, one of those singles was my sister. So, yeah, she brought the cheese, and she brought a bat, too. But they weren't all my sisters, because we had many people in the home. We were singles, character bleeders. That was encouragement. That challenged me to grow. And thankfully, they followed up. They didn't accept my, oh, thank you, yes, I will repent immediately and do this. No, they came back two weeks later and said, oh, I'm seeing the same thing again. My point is, not that you should reach out to the few singles and say, now come into my home and need to, but that people need to be close enough in your life in order to provide meaningful and constructive encouragement if we're going to grow. In other words, private isolated, independent Christianity may be popular, and it certainly is understandable, I guess, during COVID, but it's not found on the pages of Acts. These brothers are walking it out together. They are shouldering together the burdens and responsibilities and trials of being a Christian in a hostile world. And as we read the rest of the chapter, there's real hostility. There's real opposition. And so the need for encouragement is even greater. Which brings us to Eutychus, my last point. If I need, if I need people close enough to me and around me and who are not afraid to speak both words of truth but also words of encouragement and comfort and affirmation. How do I grow in being encouragement to others? I think Paul provides an inspired, albeit supernatural example of encouragement in verse 10. When he, seeing Eutychus' fall, and, and it says he, he was taken up dead, I think he really was dead, bends over him and taking him in his arms says, do not be alarmed for his life is in him. Do you see that? And it says the youth was taken away by the church and they were not a little comforted. 
That's Luke's way of saying they were really comforted. They were really comforted that Eutychus was not only revived, not resuscitated, revived, he was dead, but the care and the affection and the tenderness of Paul towards this brother encouraged and comforted the church there in Troas. In fact, let me say that when any of us encourage another whose faith may be fledgling or floundering, who may feel more like Eutychus than one of these brothers that traveled with Paul, when we are the giver of encouragement that brings hope in Christ or or renewed courage in Christ or reminder of the word of his grace when we're sinning in Christ, not only the hope to change, but the forgiveness that we have in Christ. When we do that, we may not raise someone from the dead, but if you do, please let us know so we can rejoice with you, but you will be a means of grace into their life that will fuel their life in Christ and it will comfort many. So how do, like Paul, I encourage the Eutychuses in my life. And I close with this. And Jim, this is point number four, the last point. And there's several items listed there. Pray for God to make you an encourager. Number three, make encouragement of someone in your life a daily Discipline. In other words, as you begin your day, include in your prayers for that day, Lord, would you lead me to to be an encouragement to another this day? Pray for God to show you who to encourage. And we're going to do that in just a moment by asking God to bring someone in your mind that you and I can reach out to. Use scripture if you're able. Be specific in what we say. You can pray that God would create a a culture of encouragement, not only in Crossway, which I think we do have. This is a, a message to encourage us to continue to grow and be faithful in the face of the pandemic. But pray that God would create a culture of encouragement in all gospel preaching, Bible standing churches. I think be wise, know your subject, study him or her carefully, consider what would be meaningful encouragement to them. We have a a woman or man in this church that writes encouraging notes to people in secret. And when they're received, they impart life. We have another person in this church that were they to receive a note, That doesn't get it done. But get a phone call. Start a texting, whatever that is, when you text back and forth 30 times. Loves it. We have a pastor that loves words, but loves food more. Keep the words flowing, but send the food. you see where I'm going with this? Husbands know where I'm going with this. Studying your wife so you can encourage her means that what worked last year may not work this year to encourage her. 
Roses were great last year. This year it needs to be something different. Parents know this. Teachers know this. We have to be wise and study the person long enough to say, I think this might encourage them. Recently, I reached out to someone who I was trying to encourage, and I thought I was encouraged. And I was sending them both texts and songs to encourage them, and they informed me that they weren't getting any of them. I said, you're not. Who am I encouraging? I have no idea. I had the wrong number. (laughs) Some of you have the wrong number, too. You're encouraging with what you think encourages you, but the person in front of you may need to be encouraged differently than you. So as we, as we consider this topical message encouragement, let me all conclude with this. In the book of Acts, there are 20 references to this word of encouragement. The culture of the New Testament church was one encouragement. So united were they in the mission of the gospel. So enthralled were they with the cross of Christ. So filled with they were with the Spirit. So committed were they to the Word of God. Nothing could divide them. So committed today were they to encouragement. The gospel creates a culture of encouragement in the local church and in the mission of the church because Christ is the supreme encourager. He gives us daily encouragement that empowers us to move forward in not only building up others in the church but staying faithful in our mission together because Serving Him, following Him, being obedient to Him is better than life. I conclude with this illustration and then the band can return. There are many reasons why I heard the call to pastoral ministry. But chief among them is a brother back in my sending church named Bill who still serves in ministry, although bivocationally. And Bill heard me speak, heard me one morning encouraged from the prophecy mic. He prayed for me, and he was one of the earliest people to come to me and say, I know you're a high school teacher, but have you ever considered you might be called to serve in the church too. If I were to ask my friends and my previous pastor and a lot of people, they'd say, no way. And Bill kept encouraging me. He kept praying for me. He'd he'd bring it up at the oddest time. Do you ever think about pastoral ministry? Forcing me to ask God in a more intentional way what he was calling me to do. And here I am. Seeking to be faithful. There are people in our lives that need a bill right now. There are purposes God has for them. Not yet fully revealed. 
there's excitement dormant in their hearts that needs to be kindled by the encouragement of a sister who's been praying or a a brother who's been observing. It may not be to full-time ministry. It may be to some other exciting opportunity and purpose in God, but God will use our encouragement, yes, to advance the cause of Jesus in everyday ways, in global ways, and in everything in between. Why? Because giving and receiving encouragement, according to the testimony of the book of Acts, empowers us to move forward in building His church and staying faithful in our mission together. How can I grow in being an encourager of others this week? And do I have people close enough in my life to encourage me? Let's pray. Lord, we we all feel the need for, for renewed faith in Jesus. Lord, we all need renewed hope in the sympathy Christ gives us and shows to us faced with trials, unexpected ordeals. Lord, we need the courage to stand firm on the promises of your word. in the assurance of your love, in the providence of God's care, in the certainty of our salvation through faith in Christ, even when confronted with my sin. I pray, Lord, that we would also acknowledge our need to be an encouragement to others as part of your part of your plan and purpose for our lives that you would give us specific words of encouragement specific ways to encourage specific opportunities to encourage others in this church and outside of its walls for the glory of Christ and then lord May we find the grace as well to receive encouragement from others, knowing it is sent by you for our good and your glory. May this church continue to be, because of the gospel we confess, a culture of encouragement, both in the giving of it and the receiving by it for the glory of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said...